All right, this morning we are going to be in James chapter 5. First, just really quickly, if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, my name is Christoph. Um, I am one of the pastors here, and I'm the minister to youth and families, which means I get the opportunity to minister uh, mainly to the teenagers in here, but every once in a while I'm blessed to be able to um, worship alongside you through God's Word. This morning we are going to be in James chapter 5, and we are inching closer and closer to finishing out our series in James. Next week, Pastor Jay will be finishing James, but today we are going to be covering verses 13 through 18. And if you don't have a Bible, I would highly recommend grabbing one. We have some up in the front if you're closer towards the front. We have some in the back if you are closer towards the back. And if you don't have a Bible, um, take it with you. Please take one of these Bibles, make it yours, write your name inside of it, spend time in it. It is God's Word. And we are going to be spending a lot of time in James chapter 5, so I would recommend having, um, having it in front of you. So let's read this entire passage, let's pray, and then let's dig into it. James five thirteen through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgotten. They, excuse me, he will be forgiven. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. All right. Praise God for the truth in that one. All right. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would ring true this morning. Father, I pray that you would take our hearts of stone and give give us hearts of flesh hearts that are crying out for your mercy and goodness and grace. And God, let us move confidently knowing that you have forgiven us. You have paid the price for us so that we could have new life in you. God, I pray that uh, you would speak clearly to us. God, I pray that you would make us a church who prays and spends time with you and speaks with you and hears from you. God, I pray that you'd help us to hear clearly from you this morning. We love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning's passage follows a very similar trend that we have seen throughout James throughout the rest of the book, that it is simultaneously simple and complex. Simple in that James, in these six verses, is going to have the same exhortation to the Christian, and that is very simply, pray. And it's complex in the fact that we oftentimes overcomplicate what prayer actually is. Now, in a sermon on John uh, 15, verse 7, and uh, specifically on abiding in Christ, the 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon said about prayer, prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Prayer is now as much a necessity of our spiritual life as breath is of our natural life. We cannot live without asking favors of the Lord. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask. Prayer is not a bonus to the Christian walk or some sort of add-on. Prayer is an essential to the Christian as oxygen is to our bodies. What an incredible truth it is that prayer, this thing that is essential in our walk with Jesus, is the opportunity to converse with the God who created everything. 
for me to tell me that I can converse with God, that I can go before him and make my requests known and he listens to me? It is wild. I think part of the reason prayer is baked into the Christian life, part of the reason God made this such an intricate part of our walk with him is because it humbles us and it empowers us. It is the physical representation of John's request in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Prayer requires us to put aside anything that might seem pressing in our day and take time to go before God. It requires us to properly prioritize God in relation to ourselves. It is humbling, but it is also empowering. There is nothing more empowering than getting to go before God in our requests and to see him work, to see him work in ways that we would never expect, to see him increase as we decrease. Now, my brain has a tendency to work in threes. So uh, this morning, I am going to break James 5, 13 through 18 into three specific ways that I believe James is calling us to pray. I believe that one, James is calling us to pray earnestly. Two, James is calling us to pray communally. And three, James is calling us to pray faithfully. So if you are a note taker, those are going to be the three points. If you want to write those three down, and that's where we are going to be heading. Once again, I'll say it again. James is calling us to pray earnestly, pray communally, and pray faithfully. One, praying earnestly. James 5 13 through 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James begins this section on prayer addressing three different situations. First is the person who is suffering. Two is the person who is cheerful. And three is the person who is sick. Now, verses 14 through 18 are going to specifically address the one who is sick. It's going to unpack that a little bit more, but we cannot ignore verse 13 in order to get to verse 14 through 18, because I believe that James is calling us to earnest prayer. And so what do I mean by that? What do I mean by earnest? Well, to do something earnestly is to do something with a sincere and intense conviction, to do something seriously. And this is James calling to us, are you suffering? Then pray is one who is suffering. Do not sugarcoat the season that you are going through or ignore it, but rather honestly go before the Lord. Are you cheerful? That's incredible. Don't allow this moment of joy to steal your affections from the Lord and place your affections in things from this world, but sing praises to the one who is the giver of all good gifts. And the question is, what does that look like? What does it look like to pray in a season of suffering? What does it look like to sing praises in a season of cheer? Over the past few years, there, has been, um, there have been those that I have ministered alongside who have gone through some of the deepest depths of suffering that I could have imagined, I, some beyond what I could have imagined. And I've learned to lean heavily on the Psalms to help through those seasons. So Psalm 13, for example, is one of uh, a season of suffering. Listen to this psalm. Just imagine praying it before God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy says, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Imagine going before the Lord in a season of suffering and praying that. Then what about cheer? What about moments of cheer, singing praise to the Lord? Psalm 100 is a great example of this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. These are just two examples, but notice the sincere conviction, the sincere prayer, the seriousness of the psalmist in these psalms going before the Lord. And I feel like that pushes against our Midwestern uh, sensibility sometimes, that, that we need to stay as even keel as possible. But listen, you are not showing strength if you, in reserve if you are somehow holding back what is stirring inside you from God. As if you could somehow trick God into thinking you're fine. He wants you to go to him in your suffering. He wants you to go to him in your victories and in your joy. An earnest and sincere prayer. Now verse 14 takes a shift and the rest of the verses are going to be connected to the prayer of the one who is sick. Is anyone among you sick? Now, the word that is used here for sick is is weak. Um, And it can refer to a couple different weaknesses. It can refer to a physical weakness. It can refer to a spiritual weakness. And what is going on here in the context of James chapter 5 is a a physical weakness. I want to make it clear that when I say that, I'm not saying that um, this, this, this is also mental weaknesses in there as well, right? This is physical. This isn't a moral weakness, but this is rather a a physical, mental weakness, illness that is going on. And listen, if you are physically weak, if you are ill, God wants you to go to him in your illness. This is another one of those areas where I think we just don't want to bother God with our happenings. We don't want to bother other people with things that are going on, thinking that we're somehow being humble. We're somehow not bothering God or not bothering other people because he has more important or pressing things to deal with. As if God is somehow limited by the number of prayers that he hears. He's not. He wants us to go before him in our illness. This brings us to the second point. So first, God wants us to pray earnestly. Part of praying earnestly is knowing what God is stirring inside you. But two, God wants us to pray communally. We are not just called to be persons who pray but we are called to be a people who pray. And in James 5, he's going to give us two specific ways to do this, two specific ways to pray 
communally. And the first one is going to be in James 5, 14, and the second one is going to be in James 5, 16. So James 5, 14, James 5, 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The second is verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Now we're going to deal with those verses each one at a time. We're going to deal with them individually. But the call is to have a prayer life that includes your brothers and sisters in Christ. Much like prayer is not optional for the Christian, much like oxygen is not optional for the human body, prayer is not something that we just endeavor to do alone, without the church body, disconnected from the rest of the body. We are called to be a people who pray together. All right, this first one, prayer for the sick. This verse often raises a lot of questions. I'm going to try to handle it carefully. The sick are called to call on someone specific, that is, the elders, and they, the elders, are called to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, elders are a group who have been called to oversee the spiritual care of the church. We have a group of elders who are called in, in our are called to dedicate themselves to the ministry of the word and praying specifically for you, the church. And I know in the year 2023 that we have some who are, and and rightfully so, rightfully so, that are cautious of some sort of institutionalization of the church and the body of Christ. But the New Testament paints a beautiful picture of the church body moving together, flourishing together, serving its community together when it is serving one another. This is one of the reasons why, by the way, we have formal elders. You can actually see that in our worship guide. We have a section that says who our elders are, and it has email addresses if you want to connect with them. And the elders take seriously the charge for praying for you and for caring for your spiritual well-being. We gather together regularly, and a majority of our time is spent praying for you. We want to pray for you. Are you sick? Are you ill? Go to those who have been tasked with caring for you and ask them to pray for you. And then the second part, what is with the anointing of oil? What is that about? Well, once again, there's a couple ways to approach this. First, oils were often used during this time for practical medicine. James could very well be telling the reader to go to the elders and to be receiving uh, medical uh, encouragement, medical solutions for their physical ailments. The other way that James could be using this, and probably the more likely way that James is using this, is that uh, oil and an anointing of oil was a symbolic process of consecrating or setting aside something for the Lord for his purposes. And so I want to first address the first and say that we live in a time where technology has afforded us incredible medicine for our ailments, and we should um, praise God for those, and we should use them when we can. But when James is calling for the ill to go to the elders and pray for them with oil, he is calling them to, in earnest prayer and petition, request healing from God and request that God would set aside whatever is going on, whatever this thing is, he would set it aside for the work of the Lord. 
Lord, use this in whatever way would best glorify and honor you, that would best set your names in lights, that would best give glory to your kingdom. Now, I'm going to leave a little bit of a cliffhanger on this section because uh, we're, we're going to go into the third part and probably the most important, or at least the, uh, the biggest theme of this specific sec- section, which is praying faithfully. So James is calling us to pray earnestly. James is calling us to pray um, communally. And he's calling us to pray uh, faithfully. Actually, we're not going to. Sorry, I got a little bit ahead of myself. We have to go through verse 16. All right, apologize. We are also called to pray together as a church family. Not just going to the elders in our illness, but as verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Here's my question. Are you in the regular rhythm of praying and confessing with one another? Prayer is humbling. Confession is humbling. Verbally confessing our sins to one another is humbling. But here's something you will hear us mention often here at Faith, and that is that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom when you look at it from the lens of the world. It is when we are weak that we are strong. I think we have this tendency to avoid this command in verse 16 of praying with one another and confessing with one another because we are self-conscious about ourselves. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to appear awkward. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. And yet Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One of the most spiritually forming moments in my life happened during a time of prayer and confession with someone else. Um, a youth pastor and I had begun a young adult ministry. Um, I was around the age of 19, and uh, no one showed up for our weekly gathering. We had this weekly gathering. We were going to have people come, and it was just him and I, and it was about like 10 minutes after. And um, in my mind, I was like, all right, cool. Well, I have a free night to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do. And uh, before I was about to leave, he said, hey, um, do you want to just take some time to pray? And then we could, we could end the night. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's, that sounds great. Um, and I kind of figured this was going to be one of those, like, okay, we're going to pray, uh, you know, like two, three minutes, go home, done. So I figured, why not? Two hours later is when, <laughs> when I exited that youth wing. Two hours of prayer. We sat back there and we prayed, and whenever he got done praying, me, I was kind of, you know, a little immature in my faith. I would, I would open my eyes and look up, and like, he's, he's still like, eyes closed, locked in, like he is still praying, and it's like, oh, okay, we're still praying, you know? But then God would like bring something up inside of me, and he would go, no, no, I want you to pray for this. I want you to pray for that person. It's like, oh, all right, I'm going to pray for that person. And then I would stop, and I, think he, I, I thought he would say, like, amen. But then all of a sudden, he would start praying for something else. And as he was praying for something else, it stirred up in me to pray for something else. And as I was praying, it was, it was stirring up in him something to pray for. And, and I, I felt like at the, end of the, at the end of those two hours, I had gone through, like, my entire family tree, my entire network of friends. I was, like, going through my mind, like, all the different things that, like, was going on inside of me. And it was incredible how much 
getting to pray alongside this other person stirred me to pray for things and for people that I wouldn't have even thought to pray for. It's been 16, 17 years after that, and that night has stuck with me ever since as being one of the most spiritually forming moments of my life. If you are not in the regular practice of praying and confessing with one another, let me encourage you to um, start with your family, start with your spouse, start praying with your children. And it doesn't have to be grandiose or eloquent. Just spend a few minutes at the beginning or ending of your day in prayer with your family. Another great place to start, so you go, okay, I, I don't have a family to pray with. You know, one of the things that we have tried to cultivate is uh, the area lunches. And area lunches are a great opportunity to find a group of people to pray with and connect with. It's one of the reasons why uh, we started those was to provide a space where we could share how God was working through our specific communities, but then also gather together and pray with and for one another. It would be an incredible opportunity. Don't overthink it. Get together. Pray together. Embrace what feels awkward and uncomfortable and confess in front of one another and watch as you grow in Christ together. Pray earnestly. Pray communally. And finally, pray faithfully. Now, if you have been here, or if you've been reading through this letter that James has written, it should not be a surprise that the, the call to prayer is a prayer that, is, or that demands faith, that has been a steady, three, um, steady theme throughout the course of James. He starts off very early on in James 1.3, know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And for a long time, I struggled to articulate what faith is or understand it. Uh, and, and lately, what has been really helpful for me is to think of it through the lens of confidence. The word confidence literally means with faith. Faith is not just some articulated belief or some sort of internal, like, yeah, I believe in that, but rather faith is that belief which causes us to do it moves us, it stirs us, it causes us to pursue Christ. When we have confidence in something, we pursue it. Everyone has confidence or faith in something. For some, it's money. For others, it's comfort. For others, it's other people. And the problem is that each and every one of those things and any other thing that you could think of that you would put your faith in will never actually fill this void that lays deep in our hearts. Jesus is the only one whom we can put our foundation of faith upon and it fulfills that, uh, that, that deep void in our hearts. And this is why James is constantly calling the hearers of this letter back to a true and robust faith in Jesus. This is why he talks about the prayer of faith, James 5, 15 through 18. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months it did not rain. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. The prayer 
of faith will save the one who is sick. What does that mean? Does this mean that if you believe hard enough, if you've done enough good works, God will heal you from your sickness? Does it mean that anyone who isn't healed after praying had a lack of faith that was somehow disconnected from the power of God? No, absolutely not. What is your faith in? When James says the prayer of faith, he is saying that we pray with confidence in God, not the things of this world. We pray confidently knowing that God is a good father and is faithful to his promises. So this means, yes, we pray expectantly. We pray that God would heal you. And if he does, then to the one who is cheerful, we sing praise. And if he doesn't, we continue to pray through our suffering, knowing that when we suffer, we share in Christ's suffering and subsequently in Christ's comfort, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Our prayer of faith isn't in the things of this world. Our prayer in faith is in Jesus. The prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. There is no greater salvation than that of Jesus Christ. Being healed from any earthly affliction pales in comparison to the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation we partake in because of the work Jesus did on the cross. Now, does this mean that we pray and then we are saved? No. We are not saved by any sort of works that we do, but we are saved by faith in Christ alone. And it is this faith that produces the kind of prayer that goes before God boldly. Notice that James writes right after this, the prayer for the sick will save them, that the Lord will raise him up. Much like Jesus rose from the tomb after being crucified, God raises up those whose faith is put in Jesus. And if we are raised like Jesus, we walk as those who are forgiven. And this is why James says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. He's echoing the same thing that John says in 1 John 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is, this is the gospel, right? This is the gospel that we created in God's image, rebelled against God in our nature. It is our nature to run from God. And the penalty for that is death. But God, being faithful, took on human flesh, paid that price so that we may be forgiven and walk as new creations. I hope you can see this trail of thought now, of thought through James. Because of this, when James says that we confess our sins to one another, we pray for one another, that the prayer of the righteous one has great power as it is at work, we like, um, we, we like to say that we are God's family on mission. That is one of the things you will hear us say oftentimes. We are God's, right? We have been, we are God's with an apostrophe as in um, we are not God's. God is God. God possesses it. We are gods, okay? The apostrophe in between the D and the S. I feel like I need to make, make that clear. <laughs> we have been raised up to new life in Jesus. We are also God's family, a family of those raised up by God, praying for and taking care of one another. And we are God's family on a mission in that God has called us to be salt and light in our 
community. In order to be God's family on mission, we need to be in prayer. James says that the prayer of the righteous one is powerful. What does that look like? That looks like prayer of faith. That is prayer that is confidence in Jesus. That is prayer that is happening communally. It is earnest prayer that is going before God. It is not optional. If we want to see the addict's chains released, if we want to see the prisoner set free, if we want to see the broken marriage heal, if we want to see revival in our communities, it means we need to be a people of prayer. It is like oxygen to the body. James ends this section on prayer with an illustration from Elijah which I think is fitting. And what what strikes me the most about using an illustration from Elijah, this Old Testament prophet, is that um, there's this incredible encounter in the New Testament during Jesus' ministry with Elijah, right? In Matthew chapter 17. And James prefaces this by saying that he was a man with a nature like ours. There were often those who would try to elevate these prophets to a place where uh, they shouldn't have been, saying, like, hey, he's a a man with a nature like ours. We see this in Matthew chapter 17, right? This is the Mount of Transfiguration. This is just an, uh, an incredible story. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And when he was transfigured before him, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a man created by God who had his faith set in God, and because of it, he saw God do incredible things. He prayed that it might not rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. And then he prayed again, and it bore fruit. James is ending this section reinforcing the fact that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Is it because Elijah had the right words to say? Is it because Elijah had the right oil to anoint? Is it because Elijah was like this incredible holy? No, it was because his confidence was set in God. Faith is confidence in Jesus. When we say pray faithfully, means praying, having confidence in the work of Jesus. Now, I know this morning I probably didn't address some of the questions you might have through this passage. But my prayer this week has been very constant, and I feel like my conviction in going through this section of James has been very constant, that we need to be a church that prays and sees what God does with it. The prayer has been this, Lord, help this church be a church that prays earnestly, that prays communally, and prays faithfully. My challenge to you this week would be, go to the Lord in prayer. Pray earnestly. Ask yourself what is stirring up inside of your heart and go before the Lord honestly. Pray communally. Find those that you can pray with 
and pray with them. That might even look like just going to area lunch after this worship service and praying, um, praying with the Peshtigo area. And hey, if you're not from the Peshtigo area and you didn't bring food, but you still feel like you want to go and pray with other people, go. Just go. That would be awesome. Pray faithfully. Pray laying your specific needs before the Lord. Be specific. Ask for healing. See what the Lord does with it. If he brings you a season of cheer, sing praises to him. And if he brings you, or if you continue through a season of suffering, trust him. Trust that he will use that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your constant grace in our lives. Father, I pray that you would stir up in us, you would stir up in this community a group of people who are willing to embrace prayer as the lifeblood of their walk with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to pray bold prayers in confidence. And God, I pray that you would help us to see incredible workings that nothing on earth could explain. God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to see incredible miracles. And God, I pray that you would give us strength to make it through seasons of suffering. God, I pray above all, you would make us a people who pray. We love you. You are good. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.